we are going to get into this section of scripture that really deals with what biblical love looks like. And now it's going to take us into this part of the scripture where it really feels impossible. And I just want to acknowledge that. What we are going to read, what we are going to understand, the examples that we look at in scripture as we study the life of Jesus here in about 15 minutes, we're going to get into the guts of the life of Christ. We are going to go to a place that feels impossible without the divine help of God. But with God, you can forgive at a level that's beyond humanly possible with God's help. And so I just want to acknowledge the, the difficulty, the weight of this. Okay, so our scripture for this whole series, we've been taking this apart kind of a phrase or even a word at a time, has been 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. Now, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8 says this, Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. We've preached through all that already. It does not dishonor others. We've been through this. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered, okay? And then here we go. We're getting into the not easily angered, and it keeps no record of wrongs. Keeps no record of wrongs. It keeps no record of, of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects Always trusts, always hopes, always, always perseveres. And in the crescendo, love never, love never fails. Okay, so I want to acknowledge as we get into this, I just want to say it really, really clear, right? 1 Corinthians 13, 5a, love is not easily angered and it keeps no record of wrongs. It keeps no record of wrongs. This is a phrase for forgiveness, immeasurable, beyond what we can wrap our minds around, a level of forgiveness that to many of us might literally be impossible without the help of God. All right, so let me say this really clear as we get ready to go further. We are entering into the this feels impossible couple of weeks in this series. The love that's described in Jesus is beyond what we can do, right? Many modern people, uh, and, and I, I want to clarify this, in our modern day and age, we're going to do a little bit of a modern look and then a historical look and then kind of rope it all together by following the life of Jesus. In our modern world, I went through a bunch of literature uh, here recently and even talking with some counselors, uh, many modern people believe that you must maintain a level of anger, bitterness, and desire for revenge to be for justice. Now stay on this slide for a second. In our modern day and age, if you are going to be a person that's for justice, think of like the social justice, hashtag social justice warriors that are out there. The people that are for social justice or even justice at all, we have somehow gotten to the point where we believe that we must maintain a level of anger and bitterness and desire for revenge if we're, actually, if we're going to actually be a person that's for justice. This is where our modern world is. Right? So maybe a way to say this even better. I love the way, I love the way Dr. Keller says it, kind of flipping it around. He says, the lack of anger, Dr. Keller says this, the lack of anger is seen as letting the person off the hook and being less committed to justice. 
So if you are really embittered towards somebody that's done something wrong, it could be a whole people group. In our modern day and age, we have made bitterness and revenge almost like a virtue in our modern day and age. Like you're virtuous. If you stay angry and stay bitter and keep wanting revenge, then you're a social justice warrior. So somehow in our modern day and age, we have made maintaining bitterness, maintaining anger, and wanting revenge a a virtue. We've made that happen in our modern culture. We celebrate, elevate the angry. We make space for the angry and the bitter. We always want to hear the angry and the bitter, constantly share what they're angry and bitter about. That's what we've done in our culture. And I get that this is difficult. In fact, uh, Dr. Timothy Keller, well-known Christian author and thinker, but not only him, I was also reading through Martha Nussbaum, I believe is how her name is stated. She is a really well-known, brilliant, journaled, secular philosopher. So this is now not even in the Christian world. And they are making this statement. We know... Right? Like, just to forgive us a scene, the way to say it is justice and forgiveness. Keller wraps this together with those ideas. Justice and forgiveness are seen as opposites. If you really do forgive somebody and let it go in your heart, you can't be for justice anymore. And the way that they state it is, even the secular world knows, we also know that this state of living is killing our mental health. So the social hashtag social justice warrior, hashtag justice warrior that carries a heart full of revenge, carries a heart full of bitterness, and believes that they need to maintain that to stand for what's right. The people that live in that state embracing that not real virtue but modern virtue, it's actually killing our mental health. And it's not only Christians that are noting this, even secular counselors and psychologists and writers are noting this. We are becoming less healthy as we embrace the virtue of staying bitter at people that have hurt us for the sake of justice. Summing up a whole lot of literature, I just want to make a couple statements. When we stay hurt, and we label it as just, pursuing justice, we end up hurting all the people around us. Have you ever met somebody that's just embittered? I mean, like they've been really hurt by someone, and you're trying to be friends with them, and they're so mad at this individual, and they can't let it go, and, they just, and then your relationship with them is just continually hurting too. So they're not only trying to fix the wrong that that person did, they're accidentally bleeding pain onto everybody else around them. Even the ones they don't intend to. We know that living with anger and living with resentment just saps your energy. I mean, listen, even if you're sitting here or watching online, we have a lot of online people, um, And even to our people that are online, you know this. Even the people, if you really do feel like you earned the right to stay angry, even if you feel like that's you, we can also acknowledge that it is incredibly draining to live in a state of anger and bitterness. We also know that 
bitterness, anger, desire for revenge keeps our minds and hearts in the past. And it takes away our ability to see hope for the future. When I was going through this, I was trying to understand it. And I want to say it from a secular way because I know a lot of our people have been to counseling. A lot of people are working through this. And I want to acknowledge that. And I'm grateful for good, healthy, especially Christian counseling. But in our modern day and age, forgiveness is kind of defined by these two terms. I want to give them both to you, okay? So in our modern day and age, the first kind of forgiveness that you'll get if you go to kind of pop psychology counseling is what they call therapeutic forgiveness. And therapeutic forgiveness is this. You need to forgive for you. You need to forgive for you. It's not healthy for you to stay angry. So it's the people that have lost so much sleep. They're so embittered. Their hearts are hurting so bad. I mean, the the revenge, the bitterness has grown so deep in them, they're now not mentally healthy. So therapeutic forgiveness is you need to be forgiven for your own sake. It's not healthy to stay angry. There is no concern for for the perpetrator in therapeutic forgiveness. Basically, it's this idea. I'll forgive you because I need it emotionally. That's therapeutic forgiveness. The second kind of forgiveness, and these aren't all wrong. They're just not exactly right. We're going to talk about that in a minute. The second kind of forgiveness that you see um, really strong in popular culture is what's called merited forgiveness. Okay, And merited forgiveness is this. I'll forgive you if you change enough grovel enough or suffer enough that it convinces me that you know how bad I feel. Right? And so, in other words, it's this. I'll forgive you because I feel avenged. I want to see you hurt enough that it makes me feel okay. And when I feel avenged, then I'll give you a level of forgiveness. So therapeutic forgiveness and merited forgiveness are the two primary ones that we embrace in our culture. That's why there's so many blogs, countless on restitution, restitution. What does it mean? What does restitution mean? What do we, what do we need to do to pay back all the wrongs uh, that have done to people? What do we need to, it's all about this merited forgiveness, therapeutic forgiveness. Here's the thing. There are parts of that that are a little bit right. But the truth is, the problem is therapeutic forgiveness and marital forgiveness, they aren't biblical forgiveness. They aren't the same thing. So the question, right, the question that we must ask is what exactly is biblical forgiveness? What is biblical forgiveness? We're going to follow the life of Jesus for the next few minutes. I'm going to go through a lot of scripture. Don't even try to look it up and follow me. I love you. You can download my notes and go back through it slowly if you want to, which I would encourage that. But I'm literally just going to make a statement, read scripture, make a statement, read scripture, make a statement, read scripture for the next few minutes. Jesus knows unfair treatment. 
right? So let me just start with this. Was the cross fair to Jesus? Lord Jesus, in your name, you do what only you can do. And I want to be really clear. We're going to follow the life of Christ to set your heart free. Because you can't carry the weight. It's going to destroy you. And it's going to hurt the other people around you. You are going to grow ever more anxious and embittered and lose sleep and be angry and stay in the past. I don't say this about letting anybody off the hook. This is literally following the life of Christ to set free a heart that's trapped in this. And even if you feel like the person 100% deserves your bitterness, you can't live in that state. Jesus knows unfair treatment. We're going to pause and look to Christ. Jesus is going to have, we're going to basically follow him up to his crucifixion. Jesus is going to have a dinner. So imagine inviting people over to your house with people who identify as best friends with him. Best friends. But he knows they will betray him in his lowest moments. Mark 14, 17 through 8. When evening came, the scripture says, Jesus arrived with the 12 where they were reclining at the table. He said, truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. Jesus will carry, he will carry the weight of all this pain. So if you have ever been hurt so deeply that you literally can't sleep, it's keeping you up, right? You're, you're just before the Lord continually asking, God, please, please take this from me. He will carry the weight of all of this unfair treatment and faithfulness all the way to the cross, right? He will carry all this weight so deeply he can't sleep at all. He will cry out to God. And he will end up all alone. Matthew 26, 38 through 40. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. So in your lowest moments, when you're feeling the weight of depression or sorrow or hurt or even fear of what's coming up in your lowest moments and you wish your best friends would stay with you all the way to the end and they abandon you or they're too weak to walk with you, he gets it. He gets it. One of his closest friends is going to betray him with a twisted act of affection, one of the 12. Matthew 26, 47 through 48. Listen, if you have ever had your heart hurt by a form of false affection, you've been cheated on or missed, like if you've ever had false form of affection break your heart, 
Matthew 26, 47 through 48. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief of priests and elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them, right? A signal, a signal. What is it? The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Jesus said, Greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. Affection used to inflict emotional and literally physical pain. He gets it. All of his friends will fully abandon him. Matthew 26, 56b, the scripture says, Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. Another one of his best friends will deny him at all as he faces false accusations. Matthew 26, 69 through 74. Now Peter, somebody that's supposed to be close to him, right? Now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said, but he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said, Peter said. Verse 71, then he went out to the gateway where another servant girl saw him and said to the people, this fellow was with Jesus in Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know this man. After a little while, those standing there went up with Peter and said, surely you are one of them. You, your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses and he swore to them, I do not know this man. Have you ever had friends betray you? publicly I've always wondered if where Jesus was was close enough to Peter where he could maybe even overhear it I I don't know Jesus sees you He sees you at your lowest moments of hurt. He sees you on those nights where you can't sleep. He sees you when somebody uses a form of affection to inflict pain. He sees you when your friends have betrayed you. He sees you when you feel alone. He sees you when you're in agony. And he says... I get it. I get it. I get it. He will be beaten, stripped, and slowly killed by the very people he is trying to Luke 23, 34, and I do want to put this up. So as he's there hanging right on the verge of death, suffered, 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 suffered. Every right to be bitter. He deserves none of it truly. And he said, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. And then down below his feet, And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. He gets it. 
What can we learn from this? What can we learn from this? This is really important. Biblical forgiveness asks the impossible without God's help. This is where biblical forgiveness, it is not mere therapeutic forgiveness. And therapeutic forgiveness isn't all bad, but it's not complete. Right? Merited forgiveness, things do need to be just, but it's not complete. Biblical forgiveness asks the impossible without God. What it asks is this, is in your heart, wherever you're at, whatever you've been through, and I know there's a million complicated situations and there's no way I can address them all on a Sunday morning. In your heart, it's that root of bitterness is in you and it just like, it's like your heart, literally heart with all the vessels and veins like a tree, it's planted in you and you feel the bitterness and you feel the revenge and you feel the anxiety and you feel the hurt. It's just this heart in you that's off. Biblical forgiveness literally wants to take this heart that's off and by the power of God alone, transplant that broken heart with a heart of forgiveness, a heart of a rescuer. Biblical forgiveness trades a heart of revenge for a heart that wants to rescue. A heart that wants to rescue. A rescuer's heart, um, and I'm going to invite Alyssa up. We're going to be done here in just a few minutes. And, and I know I can't cover it all, and I know there's going to be a ton of questions. I know that. Um, and, and I want to encourage you to seek good, solid biblical counseling. There's so many nuanced pieces to this. I get that it's complicated. But a rescuer's heart does not ignore sin. I am not telling you to ignore sin. In fact, some rescuers will even sacrifice their well-being to stop and protect ensnared people ensnared in evil. And, and this, is, this is huge. I get it. I get it. There are some people that they have been rescued and they want to become rescuers themselves and they will even go back into hard places to try to rescue people. It does not ignore sin. It tries to deal with it. And there are some people you literally just need to flee from it. It's complicated. And which one you are, you need Christian community to help you wrestle through. A rescuer's heart knows who the real enemy is. In fact, I want to pause for just a moment. I want you to realize in your heart and mind, the real enemy is Satan. He is a real, he is an agent of lie and deception that is working to twist and manipulate hearts. You cannot do Christian healing without acknowledging where the real sin is coming from. Listen, most of us have been hurt by people that are entrapped by the lies of the enemy. The enemy, the enemy, Satan. And so a rescuer's heart is honest about the past, Jesus didn't ignore the sin. He literally took it head on. But a rescuer's heart works to build and believe in a, in a future. In a future where the devil's schemes are thwarted and the truth of Jesus sets free. A rescuer's heart shifts from being, a heart of revenge is obsessed with the past and a rescuer heart begins to think hope. Having a rescuer's heart does not mean that you must continue submitting yourself to be rewounded. 
I want to be honest. This is complicated. And not every situation is the same. I mean, think of Destiny Rescue, our ministry where we have ex-soldiers, military police officers that will submit themselves to unbelievable danger to go rescue little girls. They submit themselves to this massive risk to help rescue others. There are some people you are called to go into the mess to rescue others, but you cannot let a heart of revenge take you over or the very darkness that poisons others will begin to poison you. And there are people like those little girls that just need to be totally pulled out of that situation, and that might be you too. Let's be honest. We can't just not be easily angered or keep no record of wrongs. I told you, we're in the part of scripture where this feels impossible. Like, have you ever had a day where you're feeling depressed or angry or anxious, and you go and you look in the mirror and you're like, stop feeling that. It never works, does it? Wouldn't it be awesome? Wouldn't it be so awesome if you could just take your emotions and like dials, like on the TV, just turn the volume down on this emotion and turn the volume up on that emotion. It would be so cool if we could just control how we feel. We, but, but, but we can't, right? We have to honor God in our feelings. As they fluctuate, we can't just not be easily angered. And it's really hard to just not keep any record of wrongs. So the real question is this. Biblically speaking, how do we shape our heart from revenge to a heart of a rescuer? How do you do that? How do you do that? All right, here we go. I'm going to go fast. How can you do this? How can you? There are real tactical things. How can we do this? Be brutally honest to God about how you feel. Pray. You need to get before the Lord and be brutally honest about how you feel. 10,000 times over if necessary. Like a little child learning to ride a bike or somebody learning a new language. You need to practice being honest about where your heart is in prayer to God over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. If I take my little kids, I've had five of them, right? If I take a little kid, I put them on a bike and go ride the bike. They, they can't. They need help. They fall over. They skin knees. Many of you in prayer are like, I tried prayer and it didn't work. Like learning a new language. You can download the, what is the Duolingo app and be like, I'm going to learn French. And guess what you don't learn the first hundred times you try it? You don't learn the language. 10,000 times over, you need to practice before God being honest about how you feel and laying it before him. You are not ignoring your feelings. You're not sweeping them under the rug. You're being honest to God about where your heart is. Do not hide your feelings in prayer. Be honest before the Lord. And then what do you do in that honesty? You ask God to do a work in your heart that only he can do. That only he can do. You are 
praying for the miracle of a heart change. You're praying for the miracle of a heart change. For some of you, the lucky few of you, one prayer, and it's like God works a miracle and it all works out great. Let me tell you how it works for most of the people in Scripture and for most of us and for most Christians in history. If you ever get a chance, you could read Teresa Avelia, The Interior Castle. She's an old saint of the faith and her journey of finding that inner true peace. For most of us, it's going to be the discipline of honesty before God over and over and over again. And one step at a time, two steps forward, one step back, three steps forward, two steps back, one step, you slowly make your way in deeper and deeper into the heart of God. The last thing that I just want to put before you a couple thoughts with it. One is, you have to trust in God's justice. He is going to make all things fair and right and good. There is no way to let your heart be healed without trusting in the Lord. You have to trust in the Lord. You're going to have those moments over and over again where you're like, God, I just don't know what to do with this and I choose to trust you and your emotions aren't there yet. And I choose to trust you and your emotions aren't there yet. And I choose to trust you and your emotions aren't there yet. And you're going to do that over and 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 over again. And slowly, like a child learning to ride a bike or like learning a new language, it builds in you. I love it. Um... I was talking with one of our kids that goes to IWU here recently, one of our students, and they were like, man, I'm just, I'm praying, and I don't feel like I'm hearing from God yet. I was like, dude, how old are you? How long have you been praying before the Lord and learning to be honest? He's like, a couple of weeks, Pastor Mike. Our older folks are like, yeah. The joy of the Lord is often like learning to ride a bike. It's like learning a new language. And it's slowly the ways and hope and nature of God are going to permeate every part of you. But it takes time and discipline and consistency. Romans 12.9 says this, Do not take revenge because for most of us, we don't understand what's really happening. And the revenge we take is going to cause more hurt that makes more people want to hurt others. So you take revenge, and they think they've been wrong, so they take revenge, and they think they've been wrong, and they take revenge, and they think they've been wrong, so they take revenge. And then what do we have as America today? One group constantly wanting revenge over and over again from the other group. Somebody has to push back and go, no more. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath for justice being on the translation because he knows where to apply it rightly. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. So what do you do while you're waiting for your emotions to catch up? I know today's long. What do you do? What do you do? Hang with me. Choose to act 
Choose to act honorably. Emotions make great messengers, but poor. You must choose to act honorably. Uh, I love the way John Brevere says it in The Bait of Satan, which is a good book. Physical growth is a function of time. No two-year-old child has ever been six feet tall. Intellectual growth is a function of learning. And then he says this, spiritual growth is neither a function of time or learning. What does he say? But it is a function of You got to keep at it. You got to keep at it. So here's what I want to do. Pull the next steps cards out. I know I went long today. I warned everybody. I warned my staff I was going to go long today. Pull the next, everybody get the next steps cards out. I just want to ask this, okay? I want to ask this. I get that this is complicated. I get that it's hard. I get that there are people out there that are thinking, you don't understand my situation. You're right. And in all the complexity whether it's a greater social issue, whether it's a personal one, whether it's a divorce, whether it's a money being stolen, whether it's a best friend betrayal, whether it's, there's a million things out there. I can only speak to sliver big ideas on a Sunday morning. But I do believe the Spirit can speak to you. So on your next steps card, please just answer this question. What do you need to ask God to change or grow in your heart? Please be honest before the Lord. Take some time and write. Hey, actually, before you write, I'm going to just mess up what I said. Um, I agonized over this message. I really did. I was even fighting with myself last night. My wife's in this service. I was fighting with myself. Like, this is not, I'm not sure. How do I address all this? There's so much here. And I laid in bed and I felt super convicted, just like, God, where do I go with this? And I felt like the Lord just whispered in my heart, your weight that you feel is because you love these people. I do love you. And I don't want you to become embittered, angry, locked away people. I want your hearts set free. I want to push you into the seemingly impossible because I believe God can carry you through it. And on the other side is a heart full of freedom. And is that not what you want? It's what I want for you. So please, just on the card, what do you need to ask God to change or grow in your heart? Go ahead and reflect. I love you. Thanks for listening to Sunday Sermon on the Made for More podcast. If you are not connected in a church community, we would love to connect with you. Send us a message on social media or fill out a digital next steps card.